The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the first chapter beginning at the fifth verse. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. But now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense." And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. And the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he turned many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angels, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained, and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach among people. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace be unto you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we turn our attention to Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 5 and following. The story is told of a mother who found herself returning one day home from the grocery store. She couldn't find the kids in the house, and so she began to look around, and there they found, she found them out in the backyard, all four kids huddled up in a circle in the backyard, and just like any good mother knows, when they all seem to be getting along, that's when you know that there's trouble a-brewing. But as she approached and found those children huddled up in the backyard, there right in the middle of them were four of the cutest little 
skunks than anyone has ever seen. Run, children, run! And they each picked up a skunk and began to run. And that's when it got really stinky. Family life can stink sometimes. Is it sure enough that there are those moments when all is grand and all is good and everything is in its place and all is well? But there are also those times when family life can be hard and difficult and really, really stink. It becomes hard in the midst of all of those things, in the midst of everything going on, the conflicts, the disagreements, the problems that can arise. See, today in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, we step into the midst of two different families that Luke introduces to us today. That as Luke says those words, in the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. That he was not simply just marking a chronological mark. It's that Luke now introduces us and sets at contrast that very family of Herod that pursued and in so many ways was thirsty for power and dominance and everything that they could lay their hands on. In contrast with that family of Zechariah, that while it says that he and Elizabeth are righteous and blameless in the eyes of God, that in the eyes of men, that Zechariah and Elizabeth are those who in that day and in that age were seen as those who must have done something. There must have been some sin or some problem or some guilt that kept them from that God-given blessing of children, they would say. That Zechariah and Elizabeth were those who lacked children, where Herod had a plethora that's why we set aside today these two families and a look at what this life was. Because when you look at the very life of Herod, this is that Herod the Great, the one who was there when Jesus was born, the one who, when he heard from the Magi that there was one so-called Messiah born in Bethlehem, that he sent his soldiers down there to kill every child under the age of of two. Nice guy, huh? It's not just when his throne was threatened by those outside the family that Herod found himself a monster in the very midst of his own family, that Herod was born into a politically connected family in 73 B.C., that this is a man who knew how to play political hardball because he was raised in it. A man who was married ten times. Now, I didn't get the chance to research whether that was sequentially or like some of those overlapped, but ten times that he had two of those wives executed. He had three of his own sons killed because he felt threatened by them and his throne that this is the Herod 
who his father, when poisoned by opponents and enemies, that Herod hatched his plan, that he invited those that were believed and suspected of this poisoning, and as each of them arrived, they were shown to a room and killed. That Herod, as he grew old and saw not only that his own family found himself to be one that was despised, that he was worried about an entire kingdom that would celebrate and cheer at his death. And so Herod hatched another plot, that as his final days came near, Herod now brought the top leaders of the land that all for a meeting And as they were gathered in, the doors were locked, and when he finally breathed his last, he had the leaders of the land killed so that tears would flow that day one way or another. See, in the late 1800s, there were two paddle boats on the Mississippi River that left Memphis, Tennessee on their way down to New Orleans that were in a race. That as one began to fall far behind, the captain had the ingenious idea of how to go ahead and catch up. He began to throw some of the cargo into the fire. And as they began to gain ground and gain that very momentum is that the crew caught hold and they began to pitch more and more of the cargo and sure enough, they won. And not a single piece of cargo was left at the end of the race. See, that's Herod. That Herod is the one who burned all his cargo, burned and destroyed the very family that was around him. So we might think, Man, that is one dysfunctional man and one dysfunctional family. I'm sure glad that I'm not like that. But how often do we comfort ourselves that at least our sins aren't like someone else's? But are our families always so good, so pure, so great? Are our own motives that same way, that we would rather be in control and dominance than in that very submission and servants, that we would rather in our own ways sometimes win that argument or say what's on our mind, whether it costs us or is at the expense of another, that don't we too often say words that cut down and hurt those that we love? that we make selfish decisions that hurt our children and ignore the Word of God, that we cannot comfort ourselves of at least I'm not like. No, God's Word invites us to stop and reflect on our own families, that isn't it often the ones that we love the most that we sometimes hurt the most? Isn't it sometimes those that we love the most are those that we need the greatest forgiveness, the greatest grace, the greatest very persistence of love? And that is what God calls us to today, 
to see our own need, to see our own place, to see our own family as that very spot that God's grace may come in, that we cannot stand in some sort of great very place of saying, at least I'm not like. Now, we are all alike, and yet God's grace is for us in all of our situations, in all of our good days and bad days, all of our days when all things smell pleasant and ripe, and when all things smell bad. But that's Herod's family. What about Zechariah's family? As we come into this family that has experienced, as Elizabeth describes it in verse 25, a disgrace among the people that she found herself hurting and pained, that they had spent years praying for, longing for, waiting for, hoping for a child. And yet that child did not come. That it seemed like it was long gone, too far past, that that ship had sailed. So we know what it's like those like Zechariah and Elizabeth, that maybe we are either those who have found ourselves praying those same prayers, desiring and yearning for a child, or finding ourselves in those moments that wonder, when will it ever come? Maybe there are those that are still waiting for a marriage that has not happened, a loved one who might come us. Maybe we might be those that have been married for years, but somehow we are still waiting and yearning and hoping and praying that that spark, that love, that very place may come again. We all know what it's like to be like Zechariah and Elizabeth, waiting and yearning and longing. We know the hopelessness, the helplessness when it comes to waiting. But then, then comes God's Word. God's promises never end, they never stop, they never quit. That though we might not always get what we pray for or what we ask, we know that His love and His presence does not give up on us that I wonder how long ago Zechariah had prayed that prayer. When the angel came and said, Zechariah, your prayer is answered. I'm wondering if he was curious of which one that was. <laughs> As an old man, he began to ask and question and demand, how shall this be so? How do I know what this will be? But Zechariah on that day was one who was chosen for that once-in-a-lifetime kind of situation. That not only was he there for just his short little stint of probably about two weeks of serving that year in the temple, but he was one who was chosen by lot that this was probably his one time in his entire life as a priest that he will be able to go in to that altar of incense, the very closest place to the Holy of Holies there in the temple, 
Zechariah now draws near to God's presence. The closest to God's presence and grace that he would ever have felt before. And now comes that announcement. That angel who comes and appears and shows and now tells what is about to happen to him. That the only other place that this area is mentioned in the entire rest of the Gospel of Luke is there at the death of Jesus. That in Luke 23, 45, it says that there in that temple, that curtain that separated that altar of incense and that very holies of holies was torn and ripped in two. And now God's presence was not so far off, so far removed, something that we feel hopelessly and helplessly far away from. God's presence was now there for everyone. That that presence of Christ who is with us wherever we go now comes to His very people. That God's plans for Zechariah and Elizabeth were not done. God's plans with you are not finished. His promises and His grace do not run out. They do not give up, and that ship has not sailed. That God has come so that He might bring that presence to you. That that is what Christ comes. That's what John, that very son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, would prepare the way for, that God's presence might come into our lives. That in that waters of baptism, that God's presence and Spirit may come and dwell in us. That at this very table, that God's presence may come among us and that strengthen us in that forgiveness and that grace that our God may draw near. So what does it say today? That through John and the one with whom he prepares that He will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children toward their parents. And yet God did all of this in spite of Zechariah's doubts, in spite of his disbeliefs, in spite of his very sinfulness and his very way of saying, God, there's no way. (laughs) And God says, there is always a way for my forgiveness, my grace to come. For when people looked at that cross of my son, that they saw that there is somehow no way, no way that God could be at work there. But we who know, who know the true presence of God, that we know that that is exactly where our God was dealing with our sin dealing with our shortcomings, dealing with all of those times that we hurt and we harm, And we cause those conflicts and divisions. And so may our God continue to remind you in all of those heartaches and hardships and all of those places where family life stinks and you yearn and wait for and pray for, know that His presence and His promise will not give up. Then may that peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.